Michael Vaughn in one and all, and welcome to the Literary Baptists. I'm Lee, joined this evening by by Nick and Maddie. How are you both this evening? Good. It's a good evening. Fantastic, same as always. Uh, Zachary has not joined us because he doesn't really read books, or at least doesn't read real books. And we're having a miscellany episode wherein we talk about our own personal reading. So he's going to go play RPGs or something. I don't, I don't know what he does, but but we're going to talk about our the books we've been reading lately. So Nick, would you like to start? Yeah, I would. Uh, so I don't remember what ones we were talking about last time, but I've read a few books recently and, um, one of my favorites is just this little, little volume that I got. I think I got it from Reformation Heritage Books, but it is the life and writings of Reverend John Gill. And, uh, it's, it's really small. I think it was like $5. But uh, his his life is such interesting, such an interesting life, I guess. Uh, really intelligent, uh, you know. Became the the big Baptist, the one who's defending believers' baptism during this time, uh, the the mid eighteenth uh, century, and um, and I I think. Uh, I think he's he needs to come back into Baptist uh, thought and, and regain that place. Um, yes. This biography seems to completely reject it. It's written by his successor um, in the church there in London, John Rippon. Um, but it it says not a hyper Calvinist, which is what I had always assumed because people said that he was a hyper Calvinist. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh well, then I'm no thanks. But sounds like he isn't um hopefully he wasn't I, I haven't read all of his works i've read this but um yeah i haven't read it all either but that is the majority opinion of people that i know who have actually read gill have said this hyper cal hyper calvinism thing isn't a fact yeah it's interesting how that happens sometimes like we have these figures and we think oh yeah this and it's like where did you even get that from yeah. um and I think sometimes like minority opinions, especially when you push them, when you're going, you know, secondary literature will make claims and then people will say, yep, that's gospel. And then it just moves forward. But people who actually read the primary literature, mm -hmm. I'm saying this is a hypocrite because I've literally just said I only read secondary, <laughs> I read a biography. <laughs> um, but uh you know, I, I think that is probably the best way to get to understand somebody is to actually read what they wrote. Um, so I read and some I of his commentary and yeah. I was surprised when I heard people say that he was a hyper Calvinist. Yeah, that, that had to be like put in my head, not from his actual writing, but somebody else had to say it for me to be like, oh, OK, maybe at some point he was a hyper Calvinist. And maybe he was, maybe at some point he was, I don't know. I didn't, his successor, John Rippon, who is kind of funny, uh, the, you know, he talks about Gil and he's just like, he ate chocolate for breakfast. It's like, first of all, it's a detail that none of us needed to know that he ate chocolate for breakfast, yeah. but it's so funny. 
but I um, like knowing it now. <laughs> and he included a story about him kind of oh like God. ribbing a Presbyterian, him and a Presbyterian <laughs> going back and forth about like, oh, you like to have, you know, a lot of water because there was flooding or something. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you like a lot of water. This is, this is kind of <laughs> your thing, isn't it? <laughs> just them kind of going back and forth about it. It's just, I, I, it's, it's a good little, it's very thin. It's very small. Um, and I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, um, I'm glad you mentioned Gil. Uh, I'll probably, I'm going to try to put this in the notes, but um, particular Baptist heritage books has produced uh, and is continuing to produce a multi-volume set of Gil's works. Looks like there's already um, uh, volumes one and two out and there's more to come, <clears throat> but yeah. So my, my friend, Jeremy, who all uh, hosts a, a wonderful podcast. Um, uh, he, he sent me the link. Um, and I kind of want to, I kind of want to invest in these. Oh, his podcast is ordinary fellowship as well. Nice little plug there, but, um, I'll put this in the notes. If there's anybody who's interested in actually reading the man and not just listening to what people say about him, uh, these would be really high quality, uh, sets that actually look nice like the printing looks nice um so i'll put a i'll put a link in the notes uh, my theme for the books that i've read recently is misconceptions <laughs> and the second one that i have <laughs> was that is... intentional or did it just come out no, that i way? just made this up right now <laughs> um but it applies for three of them i can make something up for the other ones uh the second thing is I read C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, which I read. This is a reread for me. I read it a long time ago. And I remember thinking like his idea of hell is not the traditional view at all, uh, which it is. I mean, the hell in this book is not. It's not the biblical one. Yeah. It, it just isn't. But at the very beginning, in the very end, he says, this is not even really what I believe, you know? So he, he clarifies that this is not what he actually thinks heaven and hell are like. Yeah. I think the main point of this, this book, the great divorce is about the kind of attitudes you find um, among people in, in hell, basically like what, what kind of attitudes keep you from the gospel? Um and and it's selfishness it's focus on you know novelty or science or you know there are different things that he kind of deals with with different people but you you see it and i think it's a great novel if you can get over the fact that it is basically a fantasy that it has no connection to the real world i think it's a great novel um or novella it's pretty short um i've read some other books lately like the scarlet pimpernel fun yeah. um really fun i i enjoyed it quite a bit um the french I revolution think... it's just like one of my things i, I just enjoy it so but it's one of them... to read about but probably not great to be there at the time no i wouldn't want to be there <laughs> no personally <laughs> no desire <laughs> but I, I enjoy reading about it. Um, yeah. I, I, French Revolution is great for um, 
basically, I mean, it's an important period because it shows the excesses of liberalism in a very early, in its very early form. Um, the third of these, uh, which Maddie is going to have to contribute to, <laughs> is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I had no idea that it was going to be this good. It, it's it's in my top ten right now. I'm pretty sure that it's it's one of my favorites. I, uh, I. I had been so ingrained, like the the pop culture Frankenstein's monster had, like you know Frankenberry or whatever, like the guy who's on the cereal box or you know um, Young Frankenstein or whatever. I, like these things had been in my mind, but I had I never actually read the thing, and it's great and it has no connection to it. Like the monster in you know pop culture, he's like me like cut me hurt people. Or whatever you know he's he's like dumb but this yeah. monster he's like reading paradise lost and like learning french and like <laughs> spying on people for like years uh he's, he's not the monster from young frankenstein singing putting no. on the ritz <laughs> no he's like he's like more articulate than dr frankenstein is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah he really is yeah uh and he really knows and, how to lament too. Yeah, he has. And he doesn't look anything like when I read it. He doesn't look anything like the big green monster with two bolts mm -hmm. in his neck. Yeah, no. They in never fact, talk it, about bolts in it his just, neck. It describes his skin as like yellowish, and his eyes mm -hmm. like the same color. I don't know. It's yeah. just like not the same at the all. The penguin class like reanim has reanimated cadaver. After all, this. Uh, kind yeah. of a yellowish figure on the front. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know who that's supposed to I'm be. I'm curious. But... Is that a painting of Prometheus? I thought it was, but I have no idea. Probably. That would have been really um, cool if they went that direction. I I'm sure that they would. Um, I read Frankenstein was... in high school, and I remember loving it. Um, but there's not a ton that I remember, and now you're making me want to read it again. <laughs> it's worth it. I read it in, well, I don't even know if I could consider myself reading it in high school. I probably read the Spark Notes in in high school. Oh, man. That's my, my, it's been. I think you're fired. So long, can't, can't even remember. I was just super over. It's sad now. Like, I don't know if I would have appreciated my English class had I took it now. I'm not really sure because we had to take quizzes on the books and mm -hmm. stuff and i feel like that Wrong. just kind of ruins yep. ruins the experience and english teachers focus on the dumbest things too yeah it's but like, so oh, like they're right. making like the books that we had to read generally were good books like jane eyre hated mm -hmm. i hated jane eyre but mm -hmm. i love it now uh we had to read frankenstein my sophomore year and i remember absolutely hating it but I don't know if I read it because it wasn't like familiar. Like Jane Eyre, at least was familiar to me when I reread it. But it it didn't, and maybe I just wasn't understanding. Like maybe I had preconceived notions. Like when's the green monster coming in? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Is there another monster that's green and has bolts in his neck? <sighs> Frankenstein, apparently. 
Hmm. Yeah. That that's that's yeah, yeah not a whole the, other that's thing. not the doctor's name, but <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Um I did not hmm. I also that's why Nick brought it up. He and I read it around the same time. That was my reread for this year. Since we oh. read Dracula last year, which yeah. was also a reread, I was like, well, just seems like the right time of year to try to read one of these monster books. Yeah. Um so I picked up Frankenstein as well, but I, it's not in my top 10. I'll say that. Really? And I, I wouldn't even say that I loved it, but I was very impressed by it. I was, I just couldn't help, but I just kept thinking like the, an 18 year old girl in the beginning of the 1800s wrote this. <laughs> and that, yeah, I, I think, think you're, maybe that just, I think you're required me. to love it just simply because, you know, support women, support women. Yeah, girl, I support girl boss. I thought it was interesting that she wrote like from the masculine perspective, because mm-hmm. like Jane Austen's the other way around. Like she never, ever. Yeah, her novels writes... are very feminine. Yeah, she, and she doesn't write from the masculine point of view. She'll quote them, but she doesn't ever give you like Darcy's perspective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this was the other way around. They're always coming from a woman's mind. All three of the main characters that you get their perspective in Frankenstein, they're men. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping I didn't make this up, but I... Women are barely in it. (laughs) It fails the Bechdel test. Um, Did did the novel... Maybe I'm making this up. Didn't the novel get initially published under Percy Shelley's name? Uh, I believe it it was... It was like a some kind of pseudonym yeah and he but he denied that it was him right Mm -hmm. away he did edit it um like they have some i guess they have manuscripts or something and it's clear that he wrote some parts uh but i I think most people will say yeah mary wrote the the majority of it um so uh what version did you guys read was it the 1818 or the later one I'm curious what the differences would be. So mine is the Penguin Classics version. I think it's collated. I think it's both. Oh, um, cool. And uh, they, in the back, have a thing that, like one of the appendices is, here are the differences. And I didn't really, I just kind of skimmed through it. And other than a few sections in the first part, like uh, uh, the farther along you get into it, the the differences between the two versions are nothing. It, it, it's like five or six pages in this book of uh, differences. And some of them are essentially not differences at all. Like changing the word crime to vice. Oh, okay. You know, okay, uh, whatever. Changing sins to deeds. Uh, the sure the beings of my own species to my fellow creatures. They're, some of them are minor changes doesn't really matter i don't think Uh, there's one long passage that's different but i don't think it adds anything um interesting some of the main one of the main themes that i kept so i also read paradise lost this year um and the number of times paradise lost is mentioned or quoted in this is kind of shocking actually uh, but it makes sense because, you know, the the monster is like 
a second Adam, a bad mm-hmm. second Adam, not the real. <laughs> yeah, Adam. good clarification. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like a third Adam, I guess. Yeah. Um. So he's uh he's like a second Adam, bad second Adam, and he wants um a helper. He wants you know to have someone to help him he hasn't been able to find that amongst the humans or anybody else and so he asks his creator to do that and his creator says no thanks and um the idea of marriage is a huge part of this that i wasn't really mm-hmm. expecting um and he wants he wants an eve um and I, for a little bit i thought it doesn't work out for the time but i thought maybe mary shelley wrote this and was trying to convince percy that they should actually get married instead of just being like um the the euphemism we use with our kids sometimes is that they're pretending to be married mm-hmm. um oh that's they a were good doing one. that yeah they were doing that for a little while before they actually got married yeah. and then she did write this it looks like after but my thought was when i was reading it i thought that it was written before and i was thinking mm-hmm. maybe she wrote this to try to say hey it's very important for a mm-hmm. man to have um, yeah to have a wife that actually is another connection to jane austen isn't that the, the beginning of pride and prejudice the first line of pride and prejudice yeah yeah so that was my thought is what this is actually so frankenstein is basically pride and prejudice that's all i'm trying to say what i <laughs> but in reverse yeah <laughs> the tragedy yeah, it's like a tragic tragedy. version yeah um kind of what i the underlying theme i got from it was ideas have consequences uh it's just you know he gets wrapped up in his idea and his scheme and he gets so sucked into it he never and that's like it's like recounted in the beginning of it. It's like, had I known, had I known, mm-hmm. had I, there was like so much like heavy foreshadowing throughout the whole thing yeah. um, that you kind of knew it was going to happen, but I didn't want it to happen. Um, it's very Jurassic romant- Park. I'm like, a romantic, I guess. We spent, we spent too much time thinking about whether we could do it and not thinking if we should. Exactly. That's really like, that's really the story. Um yeah he does it and then his whole life is destroyed because of it um so that i don't know it was just an interesting thought of course i wanted to like infuse or insert insert wokeism here insert (laughs) feminism here obviously it was never like one and that's way before her time i don't think she had any sort of idea right at the beginning of the of the start of the feminist uh, her mom movement. was the feminist yeah woman. yeah but but to foresee like the downfall of feminism no and i don't think yeah. that's what what she had in mind and i haven't done a whole lot i've heard and i've read stuff about um different uh philosophy and and, mm-hmm. and their influence on that but i tried to i I resisted the temptation to go and read about it ahead of time mm-hmm. because I just wanted to experience the book without any like preconceived notions. Yeah. So that's just kind of generally what I took from it. The marriage thing was interesting and I, she did a good job of guilting me, making me feel bad for the monster. I was <laughs> like, just make him a wife. He's so come- sympathetic. He's yeah. lonely. Yeah. You really feel <laughs> for the guy. 
I felt bad um, for him. Yeah. Yeah. And this, so no, I'm I, part I, of the problem. Then he's also like <laughs> murdering people. And it's like, yeah, I'm uh, like, the, I'm part of the problem, uh, I guess. They deserved it. I'm the compromising there's, Christian. There's a story, <laughs> and I don't know what it's called, but it's by Evelyn Waugh, who's one of my favorite authors. Um, and it's, I'm going to probably get some details wrong because it's been like five years since I read this, but it's about there's a guy who's in an insane asylum because he murdered somebody um and this this woman comes to volunteer and she convinces the the people there she's she's convinced that this guy is innocent that he has reformed and that it is time for him to be released and um she goes through this whole process to get him released he goes um they they let him go free and then as she's going to the insane asylum to help with some other folks inmates there uh the man that she helped free <laughs> goes and kills her <laughs> and then he just goes back to the insane asylum and uh, you know kind of the point is like this uh you know sometimes we can think too well of people um and and think that we're making changes when we're not necessarily doing that and we're actually contributing to the problem i mean the, the trollops the warden which is actually my favorite book uh it has kind the of a novel was so thing. good yeah he, you know there's a character yeah. who's who's trying to do good things he's trying to yep. make the world a better place and he screws yep. things up because mm-hmm. people are fallible yep. people are people yep. are not yeah. perfect yeah yeah so uh, that's that's something that i really took away just like it's this book has made me think more about like how we support different causes and in this world, just like not understanding the consequences. Um, and then be, that, like I said, I've, I've felt pity mm-hmm. for the monster who's mm-hmm. pleading and he's, he is a monster. He's a murderer yeah. and he's capable of all this terrible, you know, plotting, but he does a good job of making you feel bad. And I, mm-hmm. I just remember being like, wow, I'm so gullible. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. reading this book and here it turns out like, oh, he's just murdering like children and women. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and then here I am like, oh, sad. So, but it's so easy to get. And that's why I was just kind of thinking of like ideologies of the day that you can get sentimental and get caught up. But, and it's hard for any of us to really know like where some yeah. ideas going to end up. Well, and I think kind of behind behind that story a little bit is sort of the enlightenment, somewhat enlightenment idea of people as a, a tabula rasa, uh, where he kind of is born in sort of a a neutral, morally neutral phase, and then gets twisted yeah. by the events that happen to him. And that's very, I mean, that's a whole. There's a whole worldview there um, yeah. of people. People only become evil because society acts upon them. Um, and that makes them, you know, so in that inside that worldview, that makes them a more sympathetic character. They couldn't help it. They made him evil. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And and there, I, you know, I guess I can tie back a little bit into some wokeism type stuff. But um, that was one of the things I took away was kind of the. Well, so when I read it in high school, we read it in homeschool co-op and we read we read Frankenstein and then Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as like a unit. Mm. And so, and kind of the purpose of that was to to compare and contrast the view of man presented by Shelley 
Mary, Mary Shelley. And then, um, um, what's his name? Robert Louis Stevenson's view of man where he's, he's already, he's a complete man and then turns more evil (laughs) when, when Dr. Uh, when Dr. Hyde comes out or, or Mr. Hyde comes out. Um, but the Frankenstein is, is born neutral or created neutral, you know, whatever you want to call what happened. Uh, and then is made evil by external forces coming from outside. And then Mr. Hyde is coming out from the inside of Dr. Jekyll. And it was just interesting. That really stuck with me and being able to kind of do a compare and contrast mm. of just that one theme. Um, and that was, that's been kind of enduring. But no, but when I read, when I read Frankenstein, I was very, found him very sympathetic. And there was one of his, one of his many soliloquies from the book I used as a tryout for a play. Actually, I had to do a monologue, and he does a lot of monologuing, so I had a lot yes. to choose from. But a lot of lot of pathos in there. Yeah, I enjoyed. I, enjoyed that I, I loved it. I I went back and forth between reading a physical version and an audiobook, and the audiobook version that I had was top notch. Really. Uh, yeah. Who read it? Which one did job. you do? That's a great question. <laughs> look it up. I want to link it. <laughs> um, I will do the work. <laughs> do better. You're on a podcast. It was it, um through our library, we have the hoopla thing, and it was it was the free one. I didn't pay for it. Yeah, Whoa. I did I did mine through Libby. It you know, and maybe it was the 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 audiobook because I did the same thing. I read it in print and did audio and I didn't feel like sitting. Um maybe it was because it was a British guy narrating it, but it didn't make me think of the Count of Monte Cristo. That book is so like fresh in my mind. But just the hmm. the theme of vengeance that kind of undergirds a lot of Monte Cristo and kind of how he's like the victim of all these bad things happening to him and then kind of going on this elaborate scheme and just i'm noticing that there's just this big emphasis on books in that time period of like travel traveling to and fro sailing to and fro it just seems to be like a really prominent plot mechanism in that general time frame that just that was that kind of travel was more available to more people and so it ends up in the in the well, literature. Well, I think I it know. was almost like new. It was like a new thing because in Monte Cristo, it's treated like he's this rich guy who can. Oh. So it just kind of, I don't know. I think it's a new. It was just something that Lifestyles I noticed. Of the rich and Obviously, I mean Monte Cristo was written later. After, because I was like in the forties, I think eighteen forties. So. The it just it reminded me. The audio book version that I listened to was the reader was Gildart Jackson and it was done by mm. Dreamscape Media. I thought it was very good. It's uh unabridged. So the only option pretty long. never yeah. listen or I, read an unabridged book. I, well, the part of the problem is is that sometimes you have to kind of do research. To, yeah. Because it won't say this is unabridged. Mm-hmm um so you have to kind of see like okay there are some that are like six hours long some that are 10 mm-hmm. uh or some that are even three or whatever um so i had to kind of do some research into whether it was or wasn't um hmm. so 
frustrating. I don't know why abridged stuff exists. Yeah, it just uh, shouldn't exist. Exactly. Make a Spark Notes or a Cliff's Notes and then yeah, do the real book. Yeah. I'm okay with burning book. books as long as they're abridged. <laughs> <laughs> they're good fire starters, even if they're smaller than the original article. Yeah. I mean, can you well, imagine if we had like something passed down to us like Beowulf? And we didn't actually have Beowulf, but we had like an abridged version. And then for the rest of time, we're like, what was cut out? Like, who? what did they cut out? Yeah. Or, you know, this or that. Yeah, yeah uh, it's one thing if you get like a little bit of a manuscript that, you yeah. know, got like part of it got lost. But to intentionally cut something yeah. out and, and gut the legacy of that of that work. Sickos. It, should, so it should be the 11th commandment. Thou shalt yeah. not abridge of wonderful uh of an excellent work of especially mutilated. in audiobooks like yeah. not that it doesn't matter in written but like audiobooks yeah. like why like did you not want to pay the actor to read the extra three hours or whatever like yeah there's no it's reason so frustrating too because i like to alternate if i can between audio and and text but if if i accidentally get i'll i'll catch it and i'm like what is going on this is not matching up at all now i know why it's very frustrating. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Maddie, what have you been reading? Well, I read Frankenstein. <laughs> wow, um, I had no idea. You should tell us about yes. that. <laughs> um, that's the one I recently finished, and I'm just kind of in this place in my life where I'm in the middle of different books. I have started many. And I am working my way through many. I'm reading Confessions. I started. Oh, Augustine. Yeah, I started reading uh, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, which is fantastic, yes. by the way. If yeah. you are struggling with trusting God, going through a hard season, or just know that you're like me and have lots of anxiety, fantastic I, book. I just got back from a, a Fire Fellowship a regional event uh, about suffering and affliction. And uh, that one book was recommended by uh, at least two of the speakers. <laughs> at, yeah, at different so times. good. He it's deals so, good. so far. He's dealt very well with just addressing the sovereignty of God, and and how the sovereignty of God plays into situations. And I think sometimes that's scary. Um, I know it is for me. Like it shouldn't be, but mm -hmm. it it is in a way because you're like, okay, well, I know he's sovereign, but that also means that like I don't have any control over the situation and who knows what he's gonna ask me to go through um i remember reading the martin lloyd jones book the spiritual depression and he had a chapter about that where it's sometimes you're just like you're aware that you will go through trials and that can be a cause for anxiety in and of itself yeah um but it's he's just jerry bridges just so pastoral and very tender. I think it's a good book. He's, a, he addresses... he's one of the most most approachable Calvinist authors out there. Him, yeah. he, he and Sproul both gone to glory now. Uh, I think are two of the most approachable Calvinist authors I've ever read. I don't think like I don't think someone would walk away from reading his book and being like, "Ah, oh, Calvinist jerk guy is beating me over the head with sovereignty of God." <laughs> He just does it in such a biblical and compassionate way, but then warns you, you know, like you can't, 
you do have to be careful with how you talk about this stuff to somebody who's going through hard times and and he's very aware of that and i think that's good because we can sometimes you know be a little insensitive with our timing <laughs> like oh yeah. god is sovereign i know your you deserve it just died. Yeah. yeah yeah so so far i'm enjoying that but it's not one that i wanted to necessarily rush through mm-hmm. um so i'm reading that and then i'm reading the second james harriet book because I finished All Creatures Great and Small a while back and I missed it. So I'm, I've started that, but it's sitting waiting for me to read more of Trusting God. And then I <laughs> just started today, Rebecca by uh, Ooh, Daphne, Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. She, that book is good so far. I am hooked instantly. That is a messed instantly up story, hooked. too. Pure I don't drama. know anything about it. You've never I seen know, the film? Absolutely. Nope. <gasps> I'm completely ignorant to this. I'm I'm just kind of in a mood to just like go into things blindly right now. Yeah, when you're it's done when you're done with way. Rebecca, you need to see the Hitchcock film legitimately. Like that's it what is I want. I really want to do that because I'm yeah. very curious how he depicted this so far. I'm only like yeah. six chapters in. Yeah. But uh she's very like very descriptive mm-hmm. in her writing, but very engaging, like from page one word one so um, and i'm i keep finding myself find uh reading books that are like early 1900s like kind Hmm. of pre-world war ii it's Hmm. not intentional but Hmm. that's like one of the best periods of yeah of novels for novels like the height is like before world war ii Uh, yeah that's a good era I think Victorian it's... novelists are good, but sometimes a little bit too long. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that was like <laughs> the height. But then yeah, they when, have... they, like when they quit publishing their novels chapter by chapter in the periodicals, the novels got a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. And with a little bit of like consciousness of World War One for some of them, yeah. like, and it's just as a his as a history person, I am just fascinated socially mm. just the commentary like that you're getting the their unconscious of what's looming ahead like they're yeah. writing about a time where they're looking back on world war one not yet knowing what's ahead but then we do <laughs> so you have this mm. like very interesting perspective and uh it's just i'm finding that in and of itself kind of a fun activity to read different whether fiction or uh, nonfiction. Very fascinating. So there you have yeah. it. So cool. I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because um, so I went on vacation, uh, went to Florida. It was a nice time. Uh, went to Key West uh, for a couple days. Yes. I, I have to admit, even as a proud Ohioan, I think I think Florida's number Florida's one. Florida's the best. I don't live um, in Florida anymore, but Florida's the best. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, I went to the, uh, the Hemingway house there where he wrote a ton of books and he's probably Hemingway's probably the most modern author that I like. Um, it's pretty much the novels I've read that are newer than his, than his work are, are the novels that I haven't cared for that much. So I think he's the most modern that I can handle. Um, 
and I bought a copy of um, The Sun Also Rises there, which is his first novel. Um, uh, and, and it was like a, it was a new kind of updated edition that had some older manuscripts worked into it as well, which was, so that was partially what was in my mind when I asked about what version of Frankenstein you read, because it does seem like now there are newer, you know, not necessarily for an anniversary of a publication date or something, but just like, oh, we found more papers and then they weave them in or, or put them in as like a supplement in the back and then republish it. Um, and so I bought a new paper copy uh, of The Sun Also Rises and enjoyed starting to read that. But um, I'm, I'm going to take my time. I've read that. I've actually read that novel several times, so I'm not in a rush to finish it again. Um, what I did finish was um, this was my um, my church father book from uh, from the reading challenge on God in Christ by Gregory of Nazianzus. Uh, I've been wanting to get into the uh, patristics, uh, both Nicene and pro-Nicene, um, and so this is kind of a good. This was kind of the first foray into it, and I really, really um, enjoyed. Um, this was the five. So the five theological orations in my my book also had the two. There are two letters to Cledonius, but I I didn't read those. I just read the uh, the the five orations. I counted that as a finish because that's usually how they're how it's printed. But um, the argumentation, the logical flow, like these were these were sermons, um, but they're very like logical um, treatises <laughs> about about uh, really important concepts, and they're very polemical. Uh, like all he's he's like naming not only individuals but like camps of opponents addressing their arguments, bringing up arguments that he would assume he would hear from them if he was in a debate in that moment. Uh, just really, really um, interesting and helpful. And I wish there were, I want to make sure I say it right. I I wish that the good theologians that we have today would produce similar things against, uh, you know, heterodox or even false teachings uh, within the visible church uh, in, in this style, I think it would be really helpful for our, our discourse. There is like this style of sermon, like the, what we have today as our sermons is very different from what sermons looked like back in the day, yep. the old folks times. Um, this is, I'm going to talk about something right now that's like a thousand years later but uh <laughs> but so do it because i'm trying was, to find i edited a transcript uh of uh john uh jonathan edwards sermon for revived thoughts which is a good podcast uh yes. that includes uh sermons oh, from the past you read one of his sermons or were you listening no i one? edited i i, oh, I okay. got it ready to be read um nice and uh it, I, they're meticulous. They focus they any little argument for any little argument that they can perceive against. It's every little bit is included in there and actually made it quite hard to edit to to be delivered mm. <laughs> verbally because it, it was it was more like a um, a theological work than what I consider to be a, a sermon. Uh, it had application points, but they were in a very different way than than i expect a sermon to be so 
I don't, you know, I, I don't think that we necessarily need to take that back entirely, but I do think that some of that w could be brought back. Uh, I mean, particularly if you're going to talk about just kind of a mainstream evangelical like mega church, they definitely need more like hardcore theology. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, uh, I, I think a good merger of what we have now and some of that that uh, the polemical the the really thought through kind of stuff I think could be could be good. Yeah. So would be uh, good. Uh, I have a long quote. If uh, if if uh, if you would indulge me to read it. Um, one of the things that people have criticized um, church fathers of this era is a lot of um, allegorical theology. Like they don't shy away from an allegory uh, and tying things together allegorically um, or, or doing partitive exegesis. Um, but there's, there was a really powerful, the, uh, so in, in these, there, there's sort of like their sections are numbered out. And so this is oration 29 section 20, um, and uh, I just thought it was it was really so he's he's gone through this whole thing, done this logical breakdown about uh, important aspects of Christology in this in this speech, in this sermon. And this is right near the end. So he's like kind of bringing it all together and sort of sort of painting, some, painting a picture. And I thought it was really powerful um, as man. He was baptized, but he absolved sins as God. He needed no purifying rites himself. His purpose was to hallow water. As man, he was put to the test, but as God, he came through victorious. Yes, bids us be of good cheer, because he has conquered the world. He hungered, yet he fed thousands. He is indeed living heavenly bread. He thirsted, yet he exclaimed, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Indeed, he promised that believers would become fountains. He was tired, yet he is the rest of the weary and the burdened. He was overcome by heavy sleep, yet he goes lightly over the sea, rebukes winds, and relieves the drowning Peter. He pays tax, yet he uses a fish to do it. Indeed, he's emperor over those who demand the tax. He's called a Samaritan, demonically possessed, but he rescues the man who came down from Jerusalem and fell among thieves. Yes, he's recognized by demons, drives out demons, drowns deep a legion of spirits, and sees the prince of demons falling like lightning. He's stoned, yet not hit. He prays, yet he hears prayer. He weeps, yet he puts an end to weeping. He asks where Lazarus is laid, he was man, yet he raises Lazarus, he was God. He is sold, and cheap was the price, thirty pieces of silver, yet he buys back the world at the mighty cost of his own blood. A sheep he's led to the slaughter, Yet he shepherds Israel, and now the whole world as well. A lamb, he is dumb, yet he is word, proclaimed by the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's weakened, wounded, yet he cures every disease and every weakness. He's brought up to the tree and nailed to it, yet by the tree of life he restores us. Yes, he saves even a thief crucified with him. He wraps all the visible world in darkness. He's given vinegar to drink gall to eat and who is he why one who turned water into wine who took away the taste of bitterness who is all sweetness and desire he surrenders his life yet he has power to take it again yes the veil is rent 
for things of heaven are being revealed. Rocks split, and dead men have an earlier awakening. He dies, but he vivifies, and by death destroys death. He's buried, yet he rises again. He goes down to Hades, yet he leads souls up, ascends to heaven, and will come to judge quick and dead, and to probe discussions like these. If the first set of expressions starts you going astray, the second set takes your error away. I just thought that was so legit. Uh, as we say, like, based. He sounds like a, a serious Chesterton. With the, you know, like this, but this. And both are true. Yeah. yeah. The, the paradox kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, cool, cool passage. Um, I read that on the sunny beaches of Florida and was and was edified. Um, on the flight there, and it, there was a weird. It was kind of a weird experience. I've owned you see somebody Epico- wasn't real. I did oh. well. No, there. All the people on the plane were real. I will guarantee you that. Okay, good. So that that guy and the rest of them were were definitely real. Um. I've owned the Epic of Gilgamesh on my Kindle for years and never read it. And it was like almost the exact right length for the flight. And so I read about 80% of the Epic of Gilgamesh on my Kindle on a plane. And I just thought that was the weirdest uh, juxtaposition of like one of the oldest extant pieces of literature. And and I'm reading it in this very, very modern context. Uh, And I really enjoyed that. Um, That... Epic of Gilgamesh is is bonkers. Uh, I took so many notes, um, and especially like given you know we we kind of had our uh, our our blurry creature spiritual warfare type discussion there a few episodes ago, and like it, you know it's kind of hard to take notes on a Kindle like it's not exactly easy, but like I was like oh man there, this this and this and uh, giants and Uruk and um, going to the underworld and yeah it was i definitely want to read it again um i want to finish the challenge books and stuff but um that's one i'm i'm definitely next year i'm going back and camping out on Uh, that was very very interesting uh and then um i just finished on my now road trip i just came back from uh out of the silent planet and I think I confess to you guys, I really struggled with it. Um, I started reading it on Kindle, and my Kindle told me I was fifteen percent in, and I'm like, maybe I'm, maybe I quit this, and I'm gonna pick a different Inkling book. I'm like, I was bored and not looking forward to picking it up again. Uh, and then I knew I was gonna be in the car for six hours, and so I, I uh, had the audio book, and so I turned the audio book on. And what do you know? Uh, basically, as soon as I played the audiobook from where I left off in the Kindle book, it all got really interesting. <laughs> and I and I was riveted for the next like four hours listening to it just straight through. Where did you like leave off initially? Um where I left off, uh Ransom had just landed on Malacandra and he mm. was like, you know, noticing like the color of the water and the plants and stuff and um and nothing had happened like um, divine and Weston had disappeared with their rifle and gone elsewhere. And he was alone and there was nothing, no one around, nothing going on. And it was, it was, I think it was the, I think it's the way people feel when Tolkien is describing like a copse of trees 
you know oh where is this going and and now i feel guilty for feeling that way like i like i doubted cs lewis was going to tell me a good story but oh me of little faith it's i don't know i was intimidated by the space trilogy because i am very impressionable when people don't like stories that i mean that was what kept me from reading lord of the rings for a long time was because people told me oh it's so long it's so hard to read it's so boring and i remember before i started the uh, trilogy i looked up like a blog and they were like two towers is such a drag it's a labor of love ever yeah and so (laughs) i read it and i was like this is my favorite book i love two towers yeah, whatever and, and, the opposite of sophomore slump is, that is what Two Towers is. Yes, it's it is fantastic. So but I remember watching the extended version of Two Towers, the movie, and being like, what is going on with these yeah. trees? Like, I, I just didn't have yeah. any because I saw it before I ever read the book. Mm-hmm. Me too, Decade. me too. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, what is going on? Why are they talking so slow? I don't understand. Yeah. But the ends, I guess it wasn't the trees. And the movie is kind of backwards too compared to the book. Um, like yeah. they kind of took the parts of the Two Towers novel and, and then rearranged the parts to make it a movie. Yeah. Um, which is probably, uh, to be honest, it was probably the right choice to do that. Um, Helm's yeah. Deep makes a really great climax to a movie and not like the first action that's done. like that that novel basically starts with a war yeah and then goes on from there but it works works in the book one of the things that i appreciate about the movies versus the book is that it intersperses the story the plot yeah um but i mean it's not a complaint i don't have a complaint against the book i just like that they didn't do that in the movie yeah because it would have felt very disjointed Mm-hmm. I'll make a yeah. complaint about Lord of the Rings, uh, and this applies more to this applies mostly to the Two Towers. Tread lightly, Padawan. I, I cared less about Frodo. I love the other stories uh, way yeah. more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's like, oh, we're getting to Frodo. All right. Yeah, his, I did. His plot line's only interesting because it's so crucial to the actual plot. But yeah. more interesting things happen in Rohan. I yeah, struggled with. I think that was in the Return of the King is the one where I struggled with that plot line because it got so bleak, mm-hmm. which is yeah. like the point, but it was just like, it was a very serious trudging that I was like, I just want to go back to the happy, <laughs> the happy yeah. part. Go back we're, to yeah. I don't remember where the, the stopping point, I read it all, you know, when I read Lord of the Rings, I read it through. And so I don't remember exactly where the stopping point is. Um, Is it like what, him meeting Faramir? Is that, where uh at the end of two towers is that at the end of two towers yes they he meets yeah because so they Faramir leave off in, of him yeah yeah they're okay. still with faramir at the end of two towers okay. yeah uh, but yeah. that was something that i like so much about the book for two towers was that it showed some reprieve for frodo and sam more Mm -hmm. frequently than it showed in the book or the movie um the extended versions did change a bit from the like theatrical version and their time with faramir in the book 
is actually a restful time. It's not a stressful yes. time the way it was in the movie. Yeah. They kind of yeah, got that... the movie kind of got Faramir wrong. Yeah, that whole kind of storyline was a bit odd. My husband was really off put by uh, Denethor. Yeah. From they the got movie. Denethor wrong too. Which in the book he's still he's I mean he's still crazy but you get a little bit more of a explanation as to why. Yeah. He's a uh, he's relatively crazy. Like he's so like <laughs> he's so he's... distraught and the thing that he like he thought was helping him was actually making him more making him descend more into madness. Right. Uh, but but like they kind of in the in the movie they whole, minimize the whole Palantir thing that that he's got. That's yeah, one of my huge complaints about how it's they the handle that. Like they they didn't put it's the what? It's the tomatoes. Tomatoes. <laughs> I do hate that. Yeah, hold the hate, uh, hold the nightshades. Hold the nightshades. Yeah. yeah, as far as like move like the visuals, I hate the tomato and I hate all the way back in fellowship after Frodo gets stabbed and he and, and Arwen brings him to Rivendell and they do the weird thing where it's like Frodo's head here and Elrond's head here and they're kind of like floating. He's like saying uh saying a blessing yeah. in uh in Elvish yeah. and it just it's so fake and like nineties looking. It just doesn't fit with the with the ethos at all. I thought um, you were gonna mention the fish. Um with uh where with Gollum eating the fish, Isn't where he, he like rips fish? the fish open, yeah, kind of bites into it. I think. Um, oh, maybe, yeah. No, I was fine with that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Gollum sushi is fine. Uh, yeah, the weird, like ethereal, like elvish visions are kind of little, little cringe. I think that's something that's hard to do if you've seen the movies, like when you read the books, to like not. Yeah. Put in your head. Yeah. Fortunately, it's a two CV. Great <laughs> movies. Like, on the whole, can you imagine if the Lord of the Rings movies were terrible? No. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, could yeah. imagine if the Silmarillion was terrible and it's called Rings of Power. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not even the same yes. story. Like, it's just, yeah. Half of it's, it's kind of like made up. It's like fan fiction. Yeah. It's, it's a good fiction. it's a good fan fiction show. Yeah. Yeah. Except um, it's fans that don't like Tolkien. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love the Lord of the Rings movies. But I'm able to shelf them separately. Yeah. Like they're they're adjacent, but I don't I'm not such a purist that like I'm going to nitpick mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings movies and like hate everything about it cuz they are so well done and they're so epic. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, epic! You know the soundtrack, the visuals are amazing. Oh yeah, um, you can tell Peter Jackson loves the story, and really, yeah. like, you know, you're never going to get a one to one adaptation, even if they made it a TV series. You're still not going to get the book in a visual form. It's going to have to be adapted, and it wasn't. An, it was an adaptation done by somebody who really, really loves the story, and yeah. I'll and I'll always be grateful to Peter Jackson for that. But somebody who didn't appreciate Tom Bombadil, right? But it's it's Same kind thing. of a weird. Or the Barrel Whites. It's a weird. Tom Bombadil is weird. Yeah. I love Tom Bombadil. 
<laughs> I love Tom Bombadil, like, but it would it would have been yeah. If you didn't know, <laughs> if you were me watching that, having never read the, I'd be like, was this guy on drugs? <laughs> singing, <laughs> don't. Know. He can't stop singing. Yeah, and I think we that's don't the want only him to like stop singing. His singing yeah. keeps things rolling. So sing on the Tom only Bombadil. Redeeming quality. Well, there's a couple of redeeming qualities in the Hobbit movies. Not many. Not but many, but there are some. That they put uh, Bayorn in there. It was like kind of like a little bit of a Tom Bombadil moment. Yeah. But I was glad was that cool. they had that. Even though they did it wrong. Yeah. I was just glad that he was included. I was glad he was there. But the CG, I and that. Ugh. Anyways, we have gone way <laughs> off from <laughs> the space I will, trilogy. I will forever but... blame, um, uh, what's his name? I always want to say Benicio del Toro. It's not him. It's the other guy, the guy who directs movies, not stars in them. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. He's so he was the one who started the Hobbit movies and then backed out to do another project. And then they called in Peter Jackson to 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 back clean up. And mm. so he was stuck with like half of del Toro's work and had to splice in his own work to try to make it make it happen. Interesting. Yeah. That's a weird so, choice. They should have him redo The Hobbit then before he does Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Because they could really do a better job. I liked the dwarves and I liked their songs they sang. Yeah. I think they did a pretty good job with that. Yeah. And the dragon smog was pretty yeah. good. Um there the the tune that they put the like, ugh. <laughs> The horses, like, you, there's better horses and like, Ocarina of Time, Nintendo 64, <laughs> Zelda. Like, just put that in there. I think of the Hobbit movies, when, when people talk about them, the thing that I remember is, I don't even remember which movie it is, but there's a battle, and it's with the elves, and they're, they're on, like, a creek or something, and they're just, like, sliding all over the place, mm -hmm. and it's just insane. <laughs> in stupid. a bad way. Yeah, Leg there's I like, like rocks are falling, and Legolas is somehow able to like walk across the falling rocks to <laughs> yes to go like. I think you know like, exactly what? which battle I'm yeah. talking about. It's, yes, it makes like, no. This sense. isn't the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, even the like the fun little barrel river scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like my kids love that. That was hilarious, but they're also entertained by YouTube videos. So. <laughs> I mean, they're just not very critical. Not art. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was very cheesy. So in the future, we're gonna have like these these young kids that are gonna grow up, and they're gonna have videos where they're talking about, "Hey, we're gonna talk about the best unboxing videos of the 2020s." <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, you know what would be cool? I think this you could redeem the Hobbit this way if you take the film of the Hobbit. The, the various films, but you turn them into a VR experience and you can choose to be in the place of one of the characters and then they just kind of re-splice the footage so that you're in a barrel going down the falls or mm. or you're in the Battle of the Five Armies and you die on the field or whatever. They need to turn that into like a Universal Studios ride. Oh, man. Barrels. So cool. The barrels. That'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. Not I'd ride that thing all day. Yeah, and the whole stupid storyline with Toriel. the love Toriel. story yes the, the yeah the the dwarf elf romance uh, that never would ever happen ever 
You won't find that in Paralandra. I'm I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the god of uh, of the space trilogy. Um, Malandil, I think, was his name. Thank Malandil that that never happens. Yeah. Actually, I'm gonna that name. That name, like. I kept thinking bad. like of malice. Yeah, it does sound bad. Yeah. yeah. He like, should have run that by Tolkien. He should have yeah. known better. Urendi Malus. Yeah. Malel deal. It just it sounded like bad. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. I kept waiting for him to be a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> that book. Yeah. Like, He's got Mal bad. in the name. Mal means bad. <laughs> that should have been the name of Divine or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's weird too. I will say so one one last thing and then we can we can wrap it up. But um at, I in the description of the Harasa, which are like the seal like people, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh they rock. I'd go play with them all day long. Yeah. Like gigantic seals who uh, also write poems. I thought that they were like kind of like like otters, like sea otters, like something that's like what that. I kind of envisioned. Yeah. I've but seen at first some... not. They looked more like Bigfoot in my mind until later. Ooh, yeah. I I cheated and looked up some pictures, and they do people do, uh, make them look more ottery than than sealy. Um, but uh, it was not, also those are not two things that are insanely far from each other. No, I guess that's uh, true. Although seals are a little more slick legs. and less hairy. The oh, yeah, they, thing. they have differences. Oh. I just can't imagine like a seal with like flippers doing what some of them do with their spears and stuff. Um, I I enjoyed <laughs> uh on the audiobook, I enjoyed listening to the uh the narrator say the word now over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which is the word now. for a sentient being, and it's H N A U. And I'm like, this poor guy. This poor guy. <laughs> Being a, it's like describing a bent now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I I turned out to love that book. I was riveted. So I I'm, I'm I listened to, to that book while painting. So it, like the room that I was painting when I listened to it is like forever out of the Silent Planet memories yep. for me. Yep. That was pretty yeah. fun. I but I do. I really do like based. the second book better. I figured, yeah. Looking back on it, like all of like there was so much showing instead of telling that had to be done i think yeah. in order to just establish the world and and then go to tell the the better stories that's what it seemed like so yeah the paralandra like yeah i can't wait until you read that because i want to talk about that one but I'll, I'll probably go ahead and start it even though it's not on the challenge list but i still have three more books to finish for just do the it challenge right. yeah do the second one soon and then you can be like me and just wait to do the hideous. Yeah. That hideous Consider thing. this peer pressure. <laughs> Live and on air. This... <laughs> Fine. I have yeah. to succumb now. Yeah. It's it's like the double dog dare. Literally everyone else is doing it. Double, <laughs> <laughs> double pod dare you to start the next book. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time this evening. It's always fun to to go over what we've been reading and uh, appreciate it. Thank you all very much. And until next time, may Monway keep you in the one and peace out.